Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for this evening and opportunity to study your word. We ask you to be with those who aren't with us today and those that are traveling. We just thank you for this. Ask your guiding and leading as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel chapter 22, starting at verse 17. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, the house of Israel is to me become dross. They are as brass and tin and iron and lead and in the midst of the furnace, they are even as the dross of silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because they are all become dross, behold, therefore I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem as they gather silver and brass and iron and lead and tin into the midst of the furnace and to blow on the fire upon it, to melt it so that I will gather you in my anger and in my fury and I will leave you there and melt you. Yea, I will gather you and blow you upon you in the fire of my wrath, that you shall be melted in the midst thereof. As silver is melted in the, melted in the midst of the furnace, so shall they be melted in the midst thereof. And you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury upon you. So we're going to look at this. God is continuing his talk about them in their disobedience and their just judgments. And he says, the house of Israel has become dross. Um, they are all brass, tin, iron, lead in the midst of the furnace. They are even the dross of silver. Dross is the, the waste product of when you burn off the ore from, oil, uh, from gold and silver or any other material. And it says, basically, it says you're the garbage. <laughs> you become the garbage that was when I refine you. And I did some research, and the things when you are breaking down the ore in the, and taking off the dross, what you end up with is brass, tin, iron, and lead is the stuff you skim off the top of your, your uh, silver, which means that not all the dross is worthless, but it's just worthless to the silversmith because it is not pure, and he's going to strip it off, and then somebody else will come along and take out other materials that they want, and they'll heat it up, and they'll skim off what is dross to them, and the same thing in gold. You keep skimming off until you get pure element that you're looking for. And, you know, it's not that tin and iron and lead are terrible. It's just if you're looking for silver, it's those aren't what you want. And he's, he's looking for something pure that's, that's precious. Silver is precious. And he's, you know, they can use lead. And even lead has its problems. Lead is only good for a few things. Because of its poison and toxicity level, you can't use it in, in uh, anything that really goes into people's food or mouth or anything like that. Uh, makes great bullets. <laughs> um, makes good weighted weight for things, but it's not much good for anything else. Yeah, uh, tin, tin has got its place in, in use, but you know what God is saying, I wanted silver. I want silver. I want something that's redeemed, which is what silver is. And he says, but you have become all this leftovers, all the stuff I wasn't looking for. And you think about how much God is wanting precious stuff. I mean, he, the streets of heaven are made out of gold. Uh, and we, you know, something we consider great value, God says, well, I, make, I just cover my streets with it. So it kind of makes you wonder, what, what does God think is precious when we finally get to heaven? Is, you know, if, if gold, which we think is so wonderful, is, is paving material... <laughs> Uh, pearl is part of the, the gates, you know, all these, all these things that we consider precious are being used for nothing. What does God consider so precious up there? And that's why Jesus said, put your treasure in heaven where moth and rust does not consume. 
you know, something to do with our service, something to do with souls being sent ahead of us is what God's saying is precious. But he says, you've become all of this, and I'm going to just throw it all in the, in the furnace. And, I, and it says, because you have become dross, behold, I will gather all of you into the midst of Jerusalem. And then as they gather silver and bronze, brass and iron and lead into gold, a tin, into the midst of the furnace to blow upon it or use the bellows, uh, to blow a fire upon it, so I will gather you in my anger and my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. God's purpose in people's lives is to burn off every all the impurities, which is what the purpose of tribulations are all about. You know, usually we get upset about trials and tribulations, but God is saying, I want to make you pure. When you look back on your life and the trials and tribulations you go through, hopefully you've learned your lessons by going through them, and you see that you're better off because God has taken things out of your life. At least that's been true for me. You know, I have the trials and hardships, and they, they are hard to go through. But I told you, most of the time I look at, you know, God, you know, you promised that it's for good. You, you know, you've got a reason for this. And usually when I look back on the things that happened to me, even though they seem miserable and terrible at the time they're going on, I see the God, okay, God, you did this. You took this out of my life. You, you made me stronger in this area of my life. You, you know, and this is what he's talking about. He puts us in the fire. Then he uses the bellows to get the fire going really good and melts away all the impurities or brings them to the surface so they can be scraped away. And this is the picture of silver and, and gold when it's being refined scraping off all the impurities, all the, all the stuff that's not gold and silver. And then you put it aside and you boil them down, boil those portions down and, and strip them down. And he goes, and he keeps doing this. Why? Because he wants us to be as pure and as precious as we can be. And it's his work. And we've got to understand that it's God's work. He puts the trials in our life and sometimes we bring, the, bring bad, you know, if we do bad things, we reap bad things. But and God still uses those ones. But oftentimes, the trials in our life are there for just one purpose. Make us pure. Work things out of us that are in our life. Saul, David, uh, Joseph, Abraham, you know, take your pick on any of these guys who went through something. They either, as in the case of Saul, King Saul, he failed his tests and ended up becoming worse David passes his test becomes more like God in each step big difference between them Josh, uh, Joseph seems to have been very pure in everything that he did and he's, you know, at least nothing's recorded he's a great picture of Jesus that he keeps doing things right and I don't believe for a second that Joseph did nothing wrong for his entire life but for some reason God chose not to lift up his and the only two people in the Bible that doesn't have anything negative said about them is Joseph and Daniel. Everybody else has some pretty you know, rough times that they're uh, put into. And God shows those things. So it does tell you that those two men must have been very righteous for God to say, no, I'm not going to, to uh, be lifting up their wrong. Because even Elijah, who gets taken up into heaven because because of how close he's walking to God. He's got some negative things said about him as he's going forward and does some things that aren't right and God chooses to, to bless him. 
but God says, I'm going to put you in the fire. And the fire that we're in, when he needs to get the heat up he'll, to purify us, he'll cre increase the heat. Because just as in silver and gold, when you first start it, you start out with a low heat and all the stuff comes up, impurities come to the top, you skim them off, you turn the heat up, more impurities come to the top, you skim them up, you turn the heat up more, you know, you keep, you keep turning the heat up to bring the impurities out and you just don't go to the top temperature right away, you know, and I don't know why, but they do it slowly and it may be that they're pulling out different types of impurities at each temperature. I, I've never tried doing it, so, you know, it may be that tin boils out at one temperature and lead at another temperature and they're trying to separate for using the pieces of dross that they're taking out. I don't know. I'm guessing. And it makes sense to me that that might be true. That each one has a different melting point and a different boil point. Yeah. And each one of them would have some use. I mean, we, we, they're dross. They're worthless to the, tin, to, the, to the silversmith. But he could take and sell them to the, the, lead, the lead and the tin and the brass you know, merchant. Or he could make it himself. You know, make, if he's you know, totally into metallurgy, he could be using it himself. But when you're making, trying to purify silver and gold, at that point in time, it's worthless. And this is what God says. In my anger, I'm going to leave you there until you're melted. He says, I will gather you and blow upon the fire in my wrath, and you will be melted in the midst. As silver is melted in the midst of the furnace, so you shall be melted, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury upon you. Now, in this case, he's angry with them, and he's trying to totally, you know, get them attention. They're going into captivity. They're getting ready to go into captivity, and it's a book of judgment. Ezekiel going into captivity. Ezekiel is already in captivity when he's writing. He went in the first or second wave, and the rest of the waves are still coming. Three or four waves of captivity. Nebuchadnezzar comes down. The kings that he, that he appoints rebels. He puts another king in his place. And each time he puts a king in, he takes some of the people away. Here we see Ezekiel has already been taken into captivity. And other people are being taken to camp. Daniel's already in captivity. Uh, matter of fact, Daniel's even gone through a school and has already stepped into place in the leadership. They were taken out. They're, they're in Babylon. All right. Ezekiel's pre a, a prophesying from Babylon to primarily the Jews in Babylon. But some of these messages are being sent all the way back to Jerusalem because some of them are specifically aimed at Jerusalem. So some of them are being sent back. In Jerusalem, you have Jeremiah prophesying at this point in time. So Ezekiel and Jeremiah are prophesying at both the same period of time. Uh, we see that process going on. So we've kept this, you know, when we first started Ezekiel, we talked about how Ezekiel is in Babylon. And the part of the captivity has already started. And he's prophesying that more is coming. And so we're going to see this. And he says, you're going to go into judgment. And the purpose of the judgment is to purify you. And we see this over and over that God wants to purify his people. He wants to make them pure. Even when they're backsliding, he wants to purify them and bring them back to him. And this is the purpose of... The book of Revelation is all about that. God trying to bring the people in the world back to him. And the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, say unto her, You are the land that is not cleansed or, nor rained upon in the day of indignation. 
There is conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion raving, ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasury and precious things. They have made their, her many widows in the midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and clean. They have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves, ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls and to get dishonest gain. So we're going to stop here for a moment because there's a bunch there. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say unto her, that is Jerusalem, Israel, you are a land that is not cleansed nor rained upon in the day of indignation or anger. There is conspiracy in her prophets in the midst thereof like a roaring lion ravening the prey that they devoured souls. So it says, you know, you're dirty. You're so dirty that nothing is, you're not even being cleansed. I'm not raining upon you. I'm not bringing cleansing water upon you and you're not listening to it. Well, if we get so far from God, he will do that to us sometimes to make us so dry that maybe we will see. He says there's a conspiracy an unlawful alliance between her priests in the midst of her like a roaring, lying, ravening. The word ravening means rending and tearing. Yeah, uh, means to, uh, to tear, uh, render. And it says, rendering their prey, they have devoured souls. And that's probably the worst thing you can do in God's presence is to tear apart somebody at the soul level. This is why God calls gossip and maligning and anger are some of the worst sins because they hurt people at a soul level they don't you know you hurt somebody at the physical level they'll heal you know the old thing that we teach our kids sticks and stones will break my bones but words will never hurt me you know trying to make them feel like you know they're just making fun of you it's no big deal well bones and broken bones will will mend over time but when people hurt you at the soul level and with their words, that pain can last for the rest of your life. Well, how many people remember things that their fellow kids or their parents said to them as a child that hurt them and tore them up? You know, hey, fatso, what do you, you know, what, what's wrong with you? Hey, clumsy, you know. And people remember those words for the rest of their life. And when... Whenever they are trying to accomplish something, those words ring back. You know, you'll never accomplish anything in your life. And some of the richest, uh, most successful CEOs had had those words, you know, hammered into their heads by their parents. And even though they're successful, they never think they're good enough because in the back of their minds, those words ringing from their parents, you'll never amount to nothing. You'll never be good enough. So no matter what they do, they never feel like they've accomplished it. God says that we can destroy, and it's so easy for us to destroy people at the soul. Say a careless word and watch somebody get hurt. But all we can really do, all we do is surrender to God and say, God, I'm not what they said. I need you to help remind me what those are and to be more into what God says you are than what the man says you are. What do you do when you start believing that you are what you Start trying to believe what God says you are. You are perfect. You are righteous. You are his child. You are 
you are pure, you are clean. This is what I keep telling people. We need to see ourselves the way Christ and God, God sees us. Who are we in Christ? I am perfect. I am righteous. I am holy. And the more I start seeing myself the way God says I am, the more the other stuff will melt away. Will it ever totally be gone? Probably not because we're human. But the more I start seeing myself the way God says I am, the less impact other people will have when they speak against me. Portraying the more you believe it, the more you will become it. As I've said, because God indwells us, he, we become who he is because he is indwelling us and he will come out of us. And he will do that by crucifying the flesh. But more it comes in through the baptism of our spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into us. He baptizes our spirit and our soul into him. And the greatest description of baptism that I've ever come across was the idea of making a pickle. You put a vegetable into vinegar, and what does the vegetable do to become a pickle? Nothing, it stays in the vinegar. And the longer it stays in the vinegar, it gets pickled, and it ceases to be a vegetable in one sense, because it, the, the pickled, whether it's pickled cucumbers, or carrots, or you know, whatever you pickle, ceases to taste like what went into it. And the vegetable did nothing to be pickled. But but for us as human beings, because Christ indwells us, He will start changing us, and the more He we accept of him and the more we stay in that Holy Spirit's brine, <laughs> for, no, no, for no, lack of a description, the more he'll change us. And it doesn't come out as works because it's not what I do to make something happen. A matter of fact, it's what I don't do <laughs> that allows it to happen. And the more I allow it to happen, the more I let him crucify my flesh, the more I stay buried in, in Christ, the more I become like him, and as I become like him, I start doing what he would do. I start becoming more loving. I become more edifying. I become uh, gentler and kinder because the Holy Spirit is in me, changing me to be like God, and I become like him. And I focus on him. I, you know, I spend my time in the Word. I spend my time listening to the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit so yes, in one sense, somebody will, will look at somebody who's been changed by God and go and look at all the works they're doing, but they're, not doing, they're really not doing works if it's true change. Because God has changed them, and they're doing who they have become, not doing works. I don't know if that makes sense, and, and I know what I'm trying to say, but is that making any sense? You know, you become like God and you start acting like him. You start loving people, not because you're trying to love people, not because you put your arm behind your back and twisted it real high and, you know, and, and put uh, torture techniques on you to make yourself do these things. It's because he's killing your flesh and you're becoming like him. And it's like, 
God is love and you just start loving people. And the more you love them, the more kind you're going to be to them, the more gentle you're going to be to them, the more edifying you're going to be to them. And it's not because you're working and struggling to do it. It's, it's just that God is working out of, out of you. And I know it's hard to comprehend until, God's, until you start seeing God do it in your life. And that's why, we, that's why we look back on our life. God, how have you been changing me? And I look back on my life and go, God, wow, I, I love what you're doing, God. And it's not me doing the changes. I'm not loving people more today because I am just stressing out trying to love people. Because to be honest, I don't, there was a point in time where I didn't even like people. Yeah, if, I didn't, if I didn't have to deal with people, I would have been happy. And God is making me love people. And sometimes I tell him, God, why did you make me ever love these people, love people? Because it hurts to love people. It hurts to love people when you watch them not following God, not growing, making bad decisions. Back when I didn't care, it was like, okay, you didn't, you're making bad decisions? Tough. Now it's, you're making bad decisions. I'm getting heartbroken, especially, especially as the pastor teaching you to make good decisions and then watch you make bad decisions. So it is God who changes us. And most of it is to surrender to him, get into his word, get into, get into thoughts, and let him indwell us. And say, God, I just want you to change me. And I, God, I just want to be, I just want to stay in the Holy Spirit, and I want you to change me. And it gets easier and easier over time. I heard circumcise our hearts. Circumcise our hearts, yeah, cut away the flesh. Cut away the, the grass. Yeah, cut, cut away the, but again, it's God who does the circumcision. See, this is what we've got to understand. It's God who does the circumcision of the heart, and he cuts away the flesh, and he gives us a new heart. It's God that does the crucifixion of us. It's God that does the infilling of us. It's God who changes us from who we were to who we are. All we have to do is be a living sacrifice and stay on the, on the altar. The problem is we usually say, God, that knife hurts. I'm getting off this altar as fast as I can. And we have to start the whole process all over because, God, I'm not staying in the Holy Spirit. I'm jumping out. I, this, this vinegar is, is acidic. It's, it's burning away the stuff that I don't want, don't, don't want burned away. It's changing who I am, and I don't like being changed into who you want me to be. So usually we jump out of the Holy Spirit. We jump off the altar. We jump off the cross just when it starts getting painful. He turns the heat up, and we try to escape the fire. And how many times do we do that? God, you're turning up the heat. You're, you're turning, trying to burn off the dross. But God, I don't want this. You know, God, I'm going to use the fire extinguisher. I don't like this fire. It's, it's, it's hurting me. And we try to jump out of it. But yeah, we tend to want to jump out of the pain. And God's saying, I've got a purpose for this. I want to burn the dross off. I want to get rid of you and make you more like me. I want to crucify the flesh. And because we're a living sacrifice, we usually try to jump out of the, out of the fire, out of the, out of the pain. All of us. It doesn't matter, you know, because the more you know of God, the higher he makes the temperature so that it's, it still hurts to be in the middle of the fire. No matter how far along you are, it hurts to be in the middle of the fire. And this is where, do I trust God well enough to accept it? And this is why I say my two favorite concepts when I go through hard times are, number one, God is in charge. Nothing has happened to me except that he's allowed it. Even if it seems crazy and un, you know, totally bizarre, God has allowed it. Even if it seems like you just did it to yourself? Even if I did it to myself, God's allowed the, the punishment. 
And the next thing is, all things work together for good. Even if I caused it and did it to myself, it will be for, it will be for some good. And once you go, if you can really grab hold of those two truths in the middle of whatever you go through, you go, God, I don't understand it. Maybe I did it to myself, but you've promised that it will be for good, and you said that nothing happens that you don't allow. You may not never see why it was good. You may never see the good. It could be good if somebody else is watching you endure through the hardship and they go, that's what a Christian is supposed to do and it touches their heart. And you may never know that until you get to heaven. We don't know what God is accomplishing, which is why we in our finite mind cannot judge what God is doing in his infinite mind. God knows the beginning from the end. He knows everything more than we do. And we in our little finite mind will say, God, there's no way this can be good. And God goes, yes, it'll, it'll be for good. Just, just wait and see. The story I tell you about being on crutches for six months, you know, and to me, there's no, nothing good about being in pain, not sleeping, being on a crutches for six months. Okay? God, in this case, did use it, and I know he did it so I could use it as an example to show people how it could, could work out, that somebody... Later on, about a year and a half, two years later, goes, you know, when you were on crutches those times, it really encouraged me that you could be working through the pain and encouraged me to work through my pain. Okay. How many times do we go through something really hard that we don't understand? And I'm not saying it was good for us. We're in pain. We're hurting. But we hold ourselves faithful to God during that period of time. And somebody's looking at us and saying, that's the way a Christian's supposed to be. And it touches them and maybe draws them to Christ or encourages them to be more faithful to Christ. That is a great blessing, and it is for good, even though you suffered a great thing and a great hardship. Job suffered a great hardship. And yet what came out of that? He prayed for his friends, and he also grew in many doctrines and stuff. But there's things that we learn by going through hardship, and people looking at us, you know, the, the world looks at us and they go, and we endure through it the way Christ wants us to. And I'm going, that's the way a Christian's supposed to go. That's not a hypocrite. That's somebody that's really living out their faith, even in the hard times. And it touches people. And this is why whatever we go through, God, you're in charge, and it's going to be for good. And if we can really truly believe that, and believe me, there's times when I go, God, I just don't understand how this can be for good, but you've promised it's for good and you've, and you've allowed it to happen, so help me endure through this hardship. Do I do it 100% of the time? No. Do I do it more often than I used to? Yes. Because I've really truly come to the place where I see, God, it's for your good. You're, you're going to turn it for good somehow. And... You've allowed it, so it's for my good somehow. I'm going to learn something out of this deal no matter what. Even if it's just to burn something out of my life, you know, it'll be working for that purpose. I feel like, um, like this, like if, on your job, if you, uh, you do your job there, you talk to the other, other employees and you talk about how you don't like this or you don't like that, I try not to. Do I find myself doing it once in a while? Yes. But see, if you're doing that and you're joining in on that, you're not doing what God says. 
Especially if you're not praying for your employer in the process of doing this. I just, you know, but even amongst Christians sometimes we'll get talking about something and somebody will start talking about something, somebody, and oftentimes I'll say, no, hold it. You know, and you'll catch me saying this. If I find that I've gotten into this and I'm listening to something, I'm going, no, we need to stop this. We're going to pray for this person or we're not talking about this. Well, it destroys your, your, your reputation and your witness. Because you're being just like everybody else, and God says you're to honor, honor your, honor your master, honor you know, and serve them well. And is any business perfect? Absolutely not. You know, it's are there problems with the business? Yes, there's lots of problems with businesses. So it's, you know, but if we're in there doing the same thing that everybody else does, nothing but complaining about the work, the job, the boss. You know, when I was a manager, I hated it when people would complain about customers. Because I would go to them and go, the customers are why you're here. If it wasn't for the customers that you're complaining about, you wouldn't have a job. Change your attitude toward your customers. I mean, just plain and simple, change the attitude you have toward your customers. But, you know, we tend to do this, and it's easy. Our flesh likes to complain about anybody. Complain and malign people, and complain about all kinds of things and malign people. And if we continue doing this and this is why we've got to be in God enough that we start catching ourselves and well well no I'm 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 living in the flesh right now I'm living in the flesh I'm talking about this person behind their back I'm talking to, I'm talking about this owner behind their back touch not is anointed you know the boss is the anointed person for that company whether they're godly or not is another story but because King Saul was not that yeah, he was a king and, and David was not going to touch him. So yes, you want to be very careful about our, uh, griping about your, your business. Uh, you know, there's lots of people that gripe at the prison about everything that goes wrong there. And there's a lot of problems with management at the prison. Uh, being in management, I know a lot of this stuff. But it doesn't do any good to sit there and talk about all the bad things that happen. Right. So, but it's this whole idea of devouring souls. How easy is it for us to devour souls? Even for us as Christians. Well, devour souls, hurt, hurt, destroy. Uh, you know, well, gee, you know, we really need to pray for, you know, and it's really, in the churches, it's kind of interesting. We cloak it. You really need to pray about this person because. And then we totally tear them down with all the stuff that, they, that we need to pray about them. And we don't need to do that. You know, this person just needs prayer. They're having a real hard time. Let's pray for them. You know, if you need some specifics, you know, make it very general. Not, you know, the, you don't need to pray. And I've talked to people. They'll go, well, I, what, what are we praying about? I go, they just need prayer. God knows what they need. You lift their name up to God and God will tell them. God will know what you're praying for. You don't need to know that they've, they've got two boyfriends and they're having a struggle between it or you know, they're having a struggle with this particular sin or that particular sin. You don't need to know all of that. I don't like to know all of that. <laughs> I don't need to know. And I've had people, well, you're the pastor. You need, no, I don't need to know about that. If God wants me to know about something, he'll let me know. Because I can pray for somebody just knowing they're going through a hard time. I don't need to know exactly what's going on in their life because then I, I have the same struggle. When I see them, I want to be able to think of godly things about them, not about all the problems and sins that they're committing. 
I want to be able to say this is a person who's growing in Christ, not, wow, I thought you were growing in Christ, and now I'm hearing that you've got <laughs> this, this, and this going on in your life. You know, it's, I don't need all of that. I want, to, I want to keep pure thoughts about people as well and not have them polluted with all the dross and the garbage that can be put into the, into the thought life. You know, because every little thing that's negative spoken to you about somebody affects the way you think about them. Whether you believe it or not, it affects the way you think about them. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows thereof. He's talking about how evil Jerusalem had become. You know, they were killing the young men. They were destroying people. They were stealing the treasure. They were stealing, you know, polluting the, the things in the, in the temple. Uh, they were worshiping other gods. All the things that God said don't do in Jerusalem and Israel, they were doing. Worshiping other gods, not going to the, not going to the temple, not offering their sacrifices. Uh, God said you were going to, every seventh year was a Sabbath year. You weren't to plant your fields, and they were, they were planting their fields on the seventh year as well. And God's saying, nope, I've had enough. I've had enough of your disobedience. And this is the whole book of Ezekiel over and over again. God says, I've had enough of your disobedience, and I'm going to bring judgment. And there is a point in our life where God says, I'm tired of the disobedience. I'm going to judge it. And it happens with countries, happens with uh, you know, governments, it happens with people. That God says, okay, you're not responding, you're not repenting, I'm bringing judgment. And the whole purpose of judgment is not to destroy. God's purpose was not to destroy Israel. His purpose was to bring Israel to repentance. And this is his purpose when he brings hardship on us that is deserved. He brings it to us and it's to break us so that we will turn back to him and be restored. Now if we don't turn back to him, he'll keep turning up the heat to a point where we might end up losing our life if we don't repent in the long run. But God is saying, I want you to come back to me. You know, we see Elijah running 120 miles away from where he's supposed to be because he's afraid of Jezebel. And God comes to him and he, and he talks to him and tells him, well, you're not the only one. Get back to where you're supposed to be. Okay. He made a 240-mile journey just to be told to go back to where, you know, a round trip to be told to go back to where he was supposed to be. Sometimes God will do that to us. We will run from the problems and God says, what are you doing here? Get back where I told you to be. And we need to keep this in mind. It is so easy and so much of the flesh that when we have hard times, a lot of people like to run rather than face, face it and let God work something in their life. And I've seen people over and over, you know, they, they move every three to five years like clockwork. You know, and if they don't leave the actual place, they'll leave the church that they're in every three to five years. They're wanderers, you know. They just go, well, this one's getting a little too deep, too personal, got time to go to a new church. And they'll come up with some good excuse for leaving the church, but it really is just an excuse. Well, so-and-so said something bad about me, or this person's talking about this person. You know, I got time to get out of it. It's no longer a loving church. And they'll go find a new loving church for three, three to five years. And then they'll go someplace else and to the extreme. Well, there are churches that deserve to be left. But at the same token, is 
our desire to leave because we're running from the problem or are we running from the fire that God's putting us in to teach us to love people that are hard to love? Okay. Uh, most of the time, it's the fire that we're going through to teach us to be more Christ-like to those that are hard to love. Now, I have seen churches where, yes, it is, it is time to leave because of all the bicker, all the division, all the biting, and, but that's usually also at the pastor level that the pastor is not teaching well enough in the first place. Usually, not always. And if the pastor is teaching well enough, I'm probably going to still stay and try to help him bring unity. But in that case, he needs people to stay who are going to show unity and help build up, just as we saw Paul in uh, Philippians chapter 4 telling you know, Eutychus uh, and Tychus, Eunice and Tychus, anyway, the two, two women, he told the church, bring them back together, help them come back together because they've, they're broken off fellowship, they're causing problems, and he encouraged the people, you help bring them back together. Don't take sides and divide the church because they were both women who had helped build the church. He goes, help bring them together. Many times when we are going through hard times in a church, it is Christ coming in and saying, are you willing to love? Or are you taking sides and, and causing division? Or are you going to help love and bring people back together? All churches have cliques. All churches have cliques. All churches have people that are hard to love. And if you're looking for a reason to leave, you'll find those people and use them as a reason to leave. If you're looking to grow, as, grow in Christ and show his love, then when you find those people, you use that as an as a opportunity to show Christ-like love, concern, and edification to and try to bring them healing and bring them together. Now, is, you know, is it wrong to leave a church? No, it's not necessarily wrong to leave a church, but make sure that God is telling you to leave the church, not just, well, I think it's time to move and here's these people that are, that are the problems and I'm going to get out because they're a problem. Because every church has them. You can find it. Every church, no matter what its size is, you're going to find the people that are going to be mean to you, that will say the wrong thing, that are just have a nasty disposition, are unloving, are cliquish, uh, you know, you're going to find them if that's what you're looking for. And the question is, when it hits, when it happens, I have two choices. I walk in my flesh and get angry and upset about it, maybe to the point of leaving the church, or I let Christ work out of me and I love them and show Christ to them and maybe win them back to the faith by the love of Christ that I'm showing them and by not taking sides. And when they start talking about something, no, we're not going to go there, but you know, anything you need prayer about, anything I can help you with. Somebody's mean and nasty. It's a chance to just learn to get, get uh, in Christ and let God be your defense and let, and let God deal with their mean and nastiness. Uh, but again, it's what do we look at? Are we learning to grow from it in Christ and minister to him? Or do we run from the problem and never, never, grow, and never grow because we're run from it? whether it's to just run to a different church in another neighborhood or to totally leave the state because things are getting, getting hard. Now, again, is it necessarily wrong to move? No, it's not necessarily wrong to move. God's, God's given me plenty of moves. Not every one of my moves have been godly moves. And some of them I've suffered for. 
Some of them have been great moves and God is greatly blessed because of. But out of my four or five moves, at least two of them were disasters and hurt the family and had a lot of problems. So we need to be careful. We need to listen to God and say, God, is this, am I running from an opportunity to grow or are you really leading me to, to move on? And this is a hard decision sometimes. It's called stepping out in faith. And there's times I've stepped out in faith and been wrong. And usually you see it after the fact. But, you know, many of those moves, some of those moves I never prayed about. The bad ones I didn't usually pray about. I just did. They looked good. Everything, the, the pro-con list looked good. And, and, and everything looked like it was going to be the greatest thing. And then it turns out to be a terrible, terrible move. Now, did God use them anyway? Yes, he used them anyway. I mean, good comes out of everything. And he has grown in other areas. Uh, but they've been some hard lessons. Learned some hard lessons by doing the wrong, by making bad decisions. All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to look at you. Lord, help us to be faithful in all of our activities and directions that you have us to move. Help us to... Be listening to your still small voice and as you minister to us. Help us to hear your word in your son's name. Amen.